Amen. Amen. Would you grab hold of a Bible and make your way to Daniel chapter 6? Sunday mornings, we're making our way through the book of Daniel verse by verse, and we want you to be there with us. Hopefully, you got a Bible, whether it's physical or you need to open it up electronically. Do that. Join us this morning here in Daniel 6. I want to just invite you who are joining us online to, in the same way. Hey, we're so glad you're connecting, but connect fully. Grab a Bible so that as we're going through this, you're going through this with us, and that God would speak to you in this time and by His Word. Let's take a moment and ask Him for that. I just want to just invite you to pray. I'm going to lead in that, but hoping you'll pray as well, that God would help you and I to hear what He would say to us this morning. God, right now, right here, I ask that you would open up our hearts to you and you would speak to us. I thank you for your word that you said would be a light to our path, that would guide our lives. God, I thank you that you're faithful to do that. And yet I'm asking for it. And yet as I'm asking, I'm recognizing, I'm not asking you to do something that you are not or wouldn't do. You are, you're faithful. I'm admitting to you that the problem is on our side of the equation, that our hearts could be hardened, we could be distracted. So many things could rob us right now of hearing your voice. God, would you work into our lives right now just the capacity to hear, granting us ears to hear what your Spirit is saying, causing us to hear, directing us in your ways. Would you meet us here and speak to us in this time? through your word. We ask for that right now, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Being good in a bad world, well, that is part of our understanding of the book of Daniel. If you have been with us in our study of the book of Daniel, you might remember that in many ways that's been our theme. We've titled our series, Living Right Side Up in an Upside Down World. We talked about that in more detail last week, looking at this man, Daniel, who was indeed a good man, did the right thing in wrong spaces, and the incredible example that is to us. With that, I want to tell you this morning that one of the reasons he was so, one of the strengths that caused him to be so, is that biblically we understand that Daniel was an incredible man of prayer, that all the way through his life, marking his life, was this place of prayer. We found it early on, if you were with us back in Daniel 2, when Daniel faced just things that were hard to understand. I mean, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream that nobody could interpret. Daniel prayed. God gave him the answer that opened up incredible doors for him. That will take place all the way through Daniel's life. In fact, in Daniel 9, we'll discover when it tells it this, it says, at the beginning of your supplications, the command went out, and I have come to tell you, for you are greatly beloved. The angel comes to Daniel and says, as soon as you began praying, as soon as you began praying, God's command came forth and and sent the answer, in part showing us the incredible nature of who Daniel was, just his access that's in there, and that draws us to understand the place of where that could be in our lives, calling us to be a people of prayer. Now, very clearly, that's where I want us to go this morning. We want to think through this man, Daniel, and in so doing, just see the example he is to us as a man of prayer. Well, for a little bit of background, let's go back and read a little bit of what we saw last week. Join me in verse 4. Said, so the governors and satraps sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find no charge or fault because he was faithful, nor was there any error or fault found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any charge against this Daniel unless we find it against him concerning the law of his God. Hey, it was an amazing understanding. We watched this. Daniel's just kind of rising up within the Persian Empire. He's being faithful through jealousy, perhaps envy, perhaps persecution. Those who are around him, some of his fellow governors and satraps, tried to undo Daniel's position. They searched for dirt on Daniel. They found none. Hey, we talked about that last week, and just the incredible good man that Daniel was. But in their discovery and search of Daniel's life, not only did they not find anything that he had done wrong, they discovered that he was an incredibly godly man. So much so, they became convinced that for Daniel, his godliness would take priority over anything else. 
that his godliness would take over or any other allegiance. And so they come up with a plan that basically seeks to trap him by seeking to make his godliness illegal. Notice with me, verse 6. So these governors, satraps, thronged before the king and said to him, King Darius, live forever. All the governors of your kingdom, P.S., that's a lie, because Daniel is one of the three governors. He's not in on this, but hey, all the governors of your kingdom, the administrators, satraps, the counselors, the advisors, have consulted together to establish a royal statute and to make a firm decree that whoever petitions any god or man for 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the decree and sign the writing so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which does not alter. Therefore, King Darius signed the written decree. Crazy things, but hey, we'll come back and see this story more next week. We'll kind of just watch through everything that just happened. But I just want you to kind of see that now it's been laid. Now there's this space of saying, hey, you know, we've now made it illegal to pray. What does Daniel do? Notice with me, verse 10. Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home. And in his upper room, with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as was his custom since early days. Then these men assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. Well, that's what we want to just make our focus this morning. We'll come back to the whole story again next week. But right now, I want to hold before you this man, Daniel, who is a man of prayer. Now, as you kind of approach that, we probably ought to begin with just some simple, maybe some basic understanding. And I want you to understand that Daniel actually prayed. There's a whole lot we could say about this. Prayer is such a huge thing in so many ways, but I want to just begin with some basic statements so that when we talk about prayer, we understand what it is we're talking about. Maybe one of the beginning things I want to make sure you understand is that prayer is actually connecting with God. It actually is that space. In fact, I like the way it's given to us here in these words. You might notice with me at the end of verse 10, where it says that three times a day, that he, he prayed, he got on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God. Say the same thing in verse 11. These men assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. Prayer is that. Prayer is meant to be a connection to God, and it's important that we understand it because it's not just some positive action or positive thing that people do. It's not a sense of just some meditative thing. Hey, that's actually important that you understand because sometimes that's where people see it. Sometimes there can be that way. There's been a whole bunch of studies done even recently that talk about the, the effective place that prayer can play in people's like health and medical just journeys as they go through things. But the sad thing is that many of those kind of have this idea, as long as you're kind of thinking positive thoughts, you know, as long as you're kind of meditating. I just want you to understand with me, that may be what some people see as prayer. It's not what God sees as prayer. Prayer, and it's very basic, is to actually talk to God. It's an actual connection with Him. Real prayer always does that, always brings us into that place. It always is that space that we get to walk in that. I think about it in Hebrews, where I give it to us this way. It says, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. It's a great verse, but in many ways it lets us know it's this picture. We get to come into his presence. We get to come before his throne. It's not just that we're kind of going through some mantra. It is a place of actual connecting with him. And real prayer always is that. That if prayer is that, if that is there, then it is this connection where we are in conversation with and actually coming there. The, the idea of, of how that works for us, maybe it's important just to say very quickly and biblically, for you and I today, biblically we get to come before God's presence and talk. Our access is through Jesus Christ, that we pray in Jesus' name. And we do so by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now there's just a ton in that, but let me just tell you, it's how it opens up. Real prayer only happens that way. 
Real prayer only happens as we come through the access that's given to us in Jesus Christ. It only happens through that. Maybe I can say it differently this way by simply saying that most of the prayers that are prayed, most of the prayers that would be prayed today around the world, they don't actually connect with God, and they're not actually really prayer. It's an interesting thing, but actually, statistically, most people pray. 98% of those who are surveyed say that they pray, that they pray you know, through their lives. And I just want to tell you, I don't know what they call prayer, but it's not what God calls prayer. Because prayer is actually a real connection and relationship with God that only happens through Jesus. Think about how it gives it to us in the book of Proverbs where it says, you know, that the Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayer of the righteous. We could say it in a very simple way. For those that don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, God doesn't hear their prayers. Oh, don't get me wrong. He's sovereign. (laughs) I mean, it's not like he's like, I didn't actually hear it. But they have no access. They have no relationship. So though people say they're praying, if they don't have a relationship with God through Jesus, that they don't actually have a real prayer life. They can't really connect with God. It only happens through Jesus. In fact, I think about it this way when the Bible kind of talks about that. You know, it pictures people who who walk in this place. And when Jesus was describing it, he would say it was this way in Matthew 18, where he said, you know, the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. It's one of my favorite little descriptions. It's really quite humorous if you can think about it. Jesus pictures a couple people praying, and he looks at this Pharisee and says, he's actually just talking to himself, you know, because he's not really praying. I mean, he's praying with himself, but it's not actual prayer. And as kindly and as graciously, I want to tell you, the sad reality is that's happening a bunch today. If you're here this morning, and you don't have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, then you actually cannot have a prayer life. You, 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 you might say you pray, you might say you say your prayers, quote unquote, but you don't. You don't have a relationship with God through Jesus, therefore you have no real prayer life. I don't say that to be mean or to be cruel, but I am saying that to invite you to a relationship with Jesus. You can never get past or further than that till it begins with a real genuine relationship with God that only happens through Jesus. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody gets to God any other way except through Him. So it has to begin there. But also understand with me, that doesn't mean that everybody who's a Christian, that your prayers are actually always connecting. Sometimes we're actually just going through the motions. Sometimes it can be in our own rebellion. The Bible tells us if we're living in rebellion against Him, that our prayers are hindered. And so all of that simply to say, it can't really be relationship unless it's honestly connecting. And if prayer is what it's meant to be, it is that connection with God. Maybe we could say it differently. It's not just connecting, it is a part of this thing that the Bible kind of calls us into a relationship that we have with God. Again, I like the way it just gives it to us there in Daniel, it mentions it twice, where it just simply tells us at the end of verse 10 that he prayed and gave thanks before, note with me, his God. It says it again at the end of verse 11, that he was making supplication before his God. It's not just God, it's like he's my God. He's mine. I have a relationship with him. God is drawing you to that. Every one of you, his design for your life is to have a relationship with him. The greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Integral to that is to have a real prayer life with God. That part of this thing of having a relationship with God, of being in relationship with God, is meant to be a place where you and I pray where prayer would be what we do. It's a part of that. In fact, it's so vital in the midst of it that it would flow into everything that that is, that we would be those who who would be a part of that. In fact, I would give it to you this way, that God wants to be your best friend. I mean, that there is a sense that you would find him to be that to you. Think about Jesus when he would talk about it to his disciples, where he said, no longer do I call you servants, but I have called you friends pictures that relationship that he has for us and wants us to have. I think about it, we'll close this morning singing that well-known song, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. And there is a sense of inviting us to that. Now, let's just be clear, that doesn't take away the other relationship that we have. He's our God, he's our Savior, he's our Master, he's our Lord, but he's also our friend. Now, we kind of get that, right? I mean, actually, we kind of would use that in other spaces in our lives. For some of you, you're married and your spouse you would say, yeah, I'm married, but they're also my friend. 
They're my best friend. It's not just we're married, they're my friend. Some of you have that with your parents or your children, where you would say, we're not just family, we're friends. We, we enjoy each other. We talk. I mean, like, we actually have genuine, and you would look at it that way, and I want you to understand that's what God is looking for a place where we would enter into a relationship where we would know Him, not just as our God and our Savior, but discover that He is our best friend, one that would draw us into that. And today, I simply want to tell you, I'm inviting you to that. When I talk about having a prayer life with God, I want to tell you there's a beautiful thing, an amazing reality that the Bible would call as prayer that would be one of the most satisfying, rewarding, just relationships that you could ever imagine. Now, if that sounds like something you have with God and you're like, yeah, Jim, speak it, great. But if you haven't got that, if, you, if for some reason your prayers are manufactured or cold and you're like, I don't know, I pray some, I don't know, I'm telling you, you can. I'm telling you that it's better than you could possibly imagine. I'm calling you, there's a relationship with God where your prayer isn't just, again, going through some, you know, things that you had to do, kind of checkboxing off, you know, some kind of religious exercise. It's a place of discovering a relationship with God where you would honestly say, he's my God, but he's my best friend. I, I, and there's nobody else I'm, I, I can talk to so clearly who knows me, who I can share, who I walk an entirety of my life with. I have this relationship with him that prayer defines that in so many ways, but it's one of the best things in my life. I can honestly tell you, I think if you have such a prayer life, you would look at those spaces in your day and say, those are some of the best moments of my day. Those are some of the best spaces in my day of just this communication with and praying with and to God. It's incredible in so many ways. When the Bible talks about prayer, that's what he's talking about. He's talking about this relationship with God that is so rich. Now, because it's so rich and because it's so wonderful, I probably ought to also just in kind of preface make sure that we understand what we're talking about in prayer is it's a very broad thing. It's bigger than we can talk about this morning, but the key thing for us to understand right now is it's so much more than just asking for things. For some people, their prayer life, really the extent of it is, give me, give me, give me. God, bless, bless, bless. God, do, do, do. It's only asking. Now, please don't misunderstand me. We are supposed to ask. We're supposed to ask Him everything. But if that's the extent of your prayer life, then you are greatly missing out how wide, how beautiful, how just encompassing this is. In fact, it might just be worth noting even the words that are found here in the text. There's four different words that are used for prayer in this text, and it's interesting the way they're even found. Let's just begin reading again in verse 10. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home. And in his upper room, with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed. Yeah, that's the first time. And this word prayer, it's an interesting word that actually speaks of bowing down. It would have the understanding of worship, of, of just recognition, that part of prayer is this place of coming before God and recognizing who He is and humbling yourself before Him and, and knowing Him in a way that would literally be just this connective, like, God, you're God and you're my God. But to do so humbly, it's part of worship. And one of the great parts of prayer is to actually worship and know Him. Add to that, it tells us that He was praying, and it tells us he prayed and gave thanks before his God. Prayer not only is worship, it's a place of recognizing, acknowledging who he is. Giving thanks, being thankful, it's not a small part of our lives. In fact, when Romans would talk about just the, the brokenness of mankind, he says they, they didn't give God thanks, and in so many ways, it opened up all of their rebellion. There's a place in our lives where we come into prayer, not just asking for things, but taking time to acknowledge who he is, his faithfulness, and what he's done. It's a key part of true prayer that sometimes what we find out, you know, we thought we had just to ask for things, but what we really needed was to spend time recognizing and thanking him for all that he has for us and the incredible joy that flows out of that. For you VeggieTales people, a thankful heart is a happy heart. And it really, truly is. I mean, there's a space of where, hey, you come in here and it, and it opens up incredible joy into our lives. 
Now, that said, it is also making requests. Yeah, when in verse 11 it uses the word, it says these men assembled and found Daniel praying. The word that's used here for prayer is a different word. It's a word that literally has the idea of making requests, of asking, of seeking, of asking for specific things, and the Bible calls us to that, that part of our prayer indeed is to be a place where we pray. In fact, the Bible tells us we're supposed to pray about everything. See, I, I know in one sense I'm telling some of you that prayer is more than seeking, and some of you that you don't, ask, you know, that's all that you do, and that's true. If all you do in prayer is ask, 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 you're missing out. But the funny thing is I'm talking to somebody else, and in some kind of weird, that almost makes you sound humble, you're like, well, I don't want to ask him that many things. You know, I mean, God's running the universe. I don't want to, you know, bug him. You know, I don't, I, you know, I, just, I don't want to be a burden. And I want to tell you, that's a lie. It's a, it's a satanic lie. God says, ask me everything. If, if it's a concern to you, I want to hear about it. I mean, tell me everything that you're facing, everything that you're going through, so that we're supposed to cast all of our cares on him. So there's not meant to be a space that, you know, somehow we don't ask him about everything. We are to ask him about everything but it's bigger than that. In that whole place, he gives us one more word there in verse 11. It says, these men assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplication. Supplication is an interesting word that has the idea of obtaining mercy. Not only are we asking for things, but it's a place of, of this place of obtaining that which we don't deserve, mercy and grace. And prayer is that. Again, I don't have time to go beyond that, but I'm just trying to make sure that when I say prayer, you're recognizing with me what it is, how vast, how big it is. Maybe one example, I think about a familiar verse there in Philippians where it says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, like tell God everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, that's meant to be a part of it, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. What an incredible promise. That's prayer. Prayer is this place where we're telling God everything with supplication, with thanksgiving. And at the same moment as he's moving, we get peace that just passes understanding. Now, if this is you that I'm speaking to this morning, that your prayer life is fairly singular, that somehow you're, as I try to talk about something that's broad, and beautiful. If you would say, hey, that's not really what I'm enjoying, I want to just tell you there's so much given to us. I think about Jesus who gave us what we call the Lord's Prayer, and we talk about this sometimes. I'm not going to dive into it right now. We don't have time. We did recently, just a couple weeks ago on Wednesday night. You can get it or uh, you can find it in other places, but on the back side of your bookmark that we talked about this morning, we simply kind of gave it out there, and we talk about how the Lord's Prayer covers so many gamuts of what prayer should be. And if you would even just use that as an example, sometimes it would force you, you know, out of just one focus of prayer, but into many. Now, if that's not something that makes sense to you, hey, again, we just did it on Wednesday night. You can find it online or you can talk to me personally. Love to help you kind of walk in that if that's something that you need. But all of that helps us understand when we talk about prayer, we're not just talking about asking for things. We're talking about this incredible relationship, a relationship that is connecting with God, that's beautiful, that covers so much gamuts in our lives. But I ought to add one more thing before we leave this kind of introductory, like just making sure you and I understand what we're talking about when I say prayer, is that prayer really does work. Prayer is actually really effective. James would give it to us this way. He says, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. It only happens through righteousness that comes in Christ and us walking in that, but found in that. It changes things. Real prayer changes things. Prayer really does affect things. There's actually nothing that you have access to that comes close to what you have access to in prayer. No amount of money, no amount of influence, no amount of, uh, of just wisdom or learned expertise comes close to what's available in prayer. Prayer changes the world, and, and prayer changes things. In fact, I think about it in so many ways. James would say it earlier in the book of James, where he simply says, you do, yet you do not have because you do not ask. There's a mountain of theology in those simple words. Every now and then, people will wonder, like, you know, does prayer really work? I mean, if God's God, does, I mean, can prayer actually change anything if He's sovereign? And there's this reasoning that begins to work into our lives, and it can be confusing, but I just want to tell it to you 
because God's speaking it, where he says, there would be things you would have, and you don't have them because you don't pray. Now, I don't know how to get it more clear than that. I don't know how to make it more simple than that. But that's a a true thing where God says there literally would be things that you would have and would be different that if you prayed, you could have them. That God's sovereignty isn't just giving them. It's your prayer life that would open that to you. And that's both exciting to me, but scary. I mean, sometimes I'm like, oh, I imagine. I mean, maybe God in his grace won't even show me. But sometimes I wonder if I get to heaven, if God were able to look back at my life and if he would tell me, Jim, what I would have done what I would have done if you had just prayed, what I would have done if, if you, instead of trusting in yourself and going and trusting in human wisdom, what I would have done if you had taken this, you know, things I would have done and given you, but you didn't get them because you didn't pray. Now, I don't mean that to be some kind of like a, a heavy or scary, but it's kind of an inviting thing to me. It's like, okay, I want that. I mean, I don't want to miss what this can be in my life. I want what real prayer is, and that's what I'm holding out to you this morning. I want to talk to you about a a prayer life that is connecting and relational and broad and effective, and I hope it's what's happening in your life, and I I long that it would be there. So with that as kind of just a, a place of making sure that what we're talking about, we both understand, we all understand, the thing that maybe shines the most, then when we think about Daniel being a man of prayer, the thing that's found here in verses 10 and 11 is Daniel's prayer life that was a very consistent prayer life. Yeah, the thing that we want to hold out to you this morning is this place where it tells us, you know, here in this verse that, you know, Daniel kneels down in the middle of verse 10 on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as was his custom since early days. Daniel has this incredible place where prayer is real in his life. And and it is this place and this powerful place that I want to hold out to you today of being consistent, of being consistent in prayer, in in being what that is. Now, that's found in Daniel, but it's certainly the call in our lives. In fact, at the very beginning of the church, in God almost defining what should make up God's people and what they do, in Acts 2, it give it to us this way. It says, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, which is the Bible, and fellowship, and breaking of prayer, and breaking of bread, and in prayers. Yeah, this is what they did without stopping. These are the things they did constantly. These are the things they did steadfastly. These are the things that marked what we are, and it's meant to be that way. It's meant to be a part of our lives. And Daniel's showing us that. His prayer life not only is constant, it has been this way for a long-standing time. It's been what it says there in verse 10, that Daniel had this as a custom since early days. We gaze into Daniel 6, and if you were with us, you might understand Daniel's probably at this moment in time in his upper 70s, early 80s. That's where it would work out into his life, knowing that he's been there. He's been in Babylon for over 60 years, and it would seem to refer in the midst of this that Daniel had this habit, this custom of prayer, since very early in his life. Now, that's powerful because in many ways it helps us see that this wasn't something, you know, some kind of new thing that Daniel was doing. This is something he had had as a constant thing. This is something he'd had as a consistent thing. And that's exactly what we want to see this morning. That's exactly what we want to seek to pursue this thing that, well, let's just use the term, his habit of prayer. His habit, or again, to use the text, what it says in the text, what his custom was. So let's talk about this for a moment. Habits. You understand them, right? I mean, I don't think there's anybody in this room that's like, Jim, I have no idea what you're saying when you talk about habits. We understand habits. We have good habits. We have bad habits. But what really makes a habit? The dictionary definition is this. Habits are acquired behaviors regularly followed until it is almost involuntary. Yes, see, a habit is something that you do with such regularity, with such consistency, that you almost begin to do it just habitually. I mean, you just, it's, it's a part of your day. Habits, I mean, bad habits, we can have them. We're not even really going to speak speaking about those, but good habits. Good habits that you have that maybe you've, you know, kind of engineered, whether it's, you know, brushing your teeth before you go to bed or making your bed in the morning or something. There can be habits that if you do it consistently, if you do it in a way where you, it, it actually just becomes a part of your life 
where it's just, you just that's this what I do. This is how, I mean, I always do it this way. When we're talking about a consistent prayer life, in some ways, that's what we're aiming at. That kind of habitual prayer life, habits that would be a part of our lives. Now, as we talk about habits, it might even be worth saying there's a lot written on habits, how to break habits, how to build habits in our lives. But it might be just a good reminder that for most people, habits take time to, to, to just make real in their life. Sociologists tell us that for most of us, it takes 21 days or up to 70 days of consistently doing things before something really begins to move into this place that it becomes a habit. Now, everybody knows what that means, right? I mean, you've done it. I mean, like you've been that person that you're like, hey, I'm going to start exercising. And like day two, you're like, I did it. I formed a habit. It's like, no, you did not. You know, it's like, it's like it, we'll see how long it's going to take before that actually becomes habitual. I mean, it takes doing the same thing over and over daily for like 21 days or up to 70 days before it begins to slide into this place where you could actually say, yeah, that's a habit. That's something I do. And I, I'm telling you that too, not in, in, a, in a hard way, but also a gracious way. It's like this takes work to get there. But when you get there, when it becomes habitual, it becomes powerful. It becomes something that can last because Daniel's did. He's got this habitual prayer life, this customary prayer life that he's held on to for, again, probably 60 years. That makes his life holding out to you and I an example that's worth following. That makes his consistent prayer life one that would show us just both an invitation to what that could be, but also what we want to be. Now, I, I say all that, and maybe as I say that, the danger is that maybe I'm saying that and you're like, well, Jim, yeah, that's good. I'm, I'm already there. I find myself thinking when Jesus talked about consistency or persistence in prayer. In Luke 18, he tells a parable and he kind of prefaces the parable that men ought to always pray and not lose heart, that they ought to always or perseveringly pray, that we ought to be those who are praying and praying and praying and not quitting. And he goes on and tells a parable of a persistent widow, which is a powerful little parable that we're not going to dive into for time's sake this morning, but just enough to say he's certainly calling us to something that we would say is a persistent or a consistent prayer life. Now, with that as the invitation that Jesus gives, the thing that just kind of slams me is what he says at the end of that parable. He simply says it this, he says, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth. In other words, Jesus says, when I come back, who's really going to have this kind of faith? What kind of faith? The persistent prayer faith. Who's really going to be in this place that they're kind of persistently not, not giving up, just pressing through, and that's a part of their lives. And what Jesus seems to say, I guess my, my take on it, is he seems to tell us in the last days it would be more rare than it is common that it would be a rare jewel found in a Christian's life that they have a consistent prayer life. And he's like, when I come back, how, how few there are going to be. Now, I say that both to just hopefully kind of explode that upon your mind, but also just make you, let's not assume that you're there. Let's not assume that you're there. Because I think some are like, oh yeah, I do that. I, I pray pretty consistently. Really? Do we? Do we have what Jesus is looking for? The kind of things is, well, I find this. Will I find persistently, consistently praying people who keep on praying? who haven't let go and don't give up. And the desire is to be such people. Now, if we desire that, then one more time, Daniel becomes this great model. Daniel becomes someone who had a consistent prayer life. He does pray that way. And so the challenge is for us is to learn from that. So here's what I want to do. I want to give you seven things. Seven things very quickly that the text just shows us about Daniel's consistent prayer life. Now, as we do so, I'm not going to tell you, hey, all of them are absolutely what you need, but I'm holding them out to you as helps, as if this is something you want that maybe you could learn from Daniel. Like, how do I have what you have, Daniel? How do I have the kind of prayer life you have? And we want to see that in our text. And so we're just going to work through the text, and we're going to work through it in exactly the order that's found in the text, not putting something as a higher priority above the others. We're just going to work our way through it. So notice with me where it begins. It's there in verse 10, and it says, Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home, 
And in his upper room, with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed. I want you to begin with just noticing what it tells us. When he knew, when he knew the writing was signed, when he knew it was now illegal to pray, he prays. There's a powerful reality here that one of the things that are needed to establish any habit in our life is to get to the place that we do so without excuse that we do so in a way that it doesn't move there. It has to be something that you don't skip. Now, again, this is not something that you're not aware of, so I just get to speak it. You understand, right? It's the end of January. I'm curious, not asking you to raise your hands, but like how many of you really had like a New Year's resolution that you were going to try to do? Maybe it was going to, you know, like many people, I'm going to begin exercising or I'm going to begin, you know, doing some things. And you maybe started off really well. Like, okay, I did it. I did it for the first few days. But here's the problem. It almost only takes one time. I mean, once you throw in an excuse, like, well, you know, don't really feel like it today. It's not really a good space for me to do it. And then all of a sudden, for some of you, it's like, it's the end of the month. I don't even know what happened. I mean, I I didn't even make it four weeks, and it's just, boom, it's gone. You know, what happened in there? For most of us, what happened is we allowed excuses to get in there. Again, I'm not trying to be cruel. I'm just saying it can't, if you're going to establish something as a constant and a real habit, it has to be something that you do without excuse. There's nothing that keeps you away from it. And we're talking about prayer this morning, having a kind of prayer life that, that we don't miss. Now, let me be gracious. Our God is a big God. He's a forgiving God. He's not holding it against you. If you have fallen down, you can always get back up, and you should. You don't have to be like, man, I have to wait till 2022 to start all over, you know? It's like, no, you can start today. But get back up. Get to the place where you do what you do, where you're called to have a place of prayer that nothing gets in the way, that nothing keeps us from that. No excuse. No, hey, I don't feel like it today. It's not a good day today. Nothing gets in the way. It's like, no, I do that. I do it no matter what. Good days, bad days. Busy days, boring days. I mean, I, I mean whether I'm in the mood or I'm not in the mood. I, I, that if I'm wanting to have a consistent prayer life, it has to be something that no matter what comes against it, no matter what it tells me not to do it, I do it anyway. Now, for Daniel, it's full-on persecution. It's life or death. It literally becomes a death penalty to pray. More on that in a moment. But let's just understand. If, that's, if, if there was anything that could have been a good excuse, that w- would have been it. It wasn't for him. It's like, I, I, I pray anyway. Nothing gets in the way of that. So if we're going to have a consistent prayer life, then doing so without excuse is what we need. Secondly, you might just notice where he prays. It says in verse 10 again, Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home and in his upper room. It can be very helpful to have a place to pray. Daniel did his upper room, which is kind of a cool term in a biblical way, but lots of stuff there. But let me be very clear. This isn't a legalistic thing. You don't have to do this. You don't have to have some space that is your prayer space, but it can be helpful. See, I I think about it that sometimes there's just help in having a space. It's like, this is where I pray. And when I'm here, that's what I do. When Jesus was talking about prayer in Matthew 6, he said it this way, but you, when you pray, go into your room. And when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Hey, just to be clear, the thing that Jesus is really seeking to speak against is people who are praying just for, you know, what people see. More on that in a moment. But it's an interesting just invitation where he says, go into your room. Some translations would say your closet. People have looked at that and the wording's interesting where they've said, you know, there's something about having, you know, a prayer closet or a prayer space. Think about like the movie that was done years ago, War Room, that kind of pictured a, a prayer space. And honestly, for some people, that's incredibly helpful. Now, if it's not for you, again, hey, no kind of, you know, have to. But if you're looking to be consistent, sometimes it really does help. Now, your prayer space may be a spot in your house where you pray. It might literally be a closet. Or it might be, you know, maybe you take your walk and pray. Walking and praying is a good way to do it, but maybe you, that's what he said. When I'm, when I'm walking here, always that's what I do. This is my prayer space. 
For some of you, you have long drives, and so some of you, your, your prayer time is in your drives, but sometimes it would be really careful to say, hey, when I'm driving between here and here, this is always prayer. Always. This, this stretch of highway, this is when I pray. And it becomes something that, because it's a habit, it's like, when I'm here, I pray. When I'm there, I pray. And it becomes something that can be very, very helpful in establishing a habit of prayer. If you have a space, it's like this space is dedicated to prayer so that when I'm in this space, that's what I'm going to do. Now, people will add to that. Sometimes they have prayer spaces and they'll put verses or have a you know, prayer list. All those things can be helpful. But today we're talking about consistency and sometimes having a space that you say, this is what I do when I'm in this space, I pray. Daniel did. For him, it was his upper room, which is kind of has the idea, goes into his upper room, goes to the upper floor, and that was his space to pray. Now, not only was it there, but it lets us know that he did so. Notice there in verse 10, he went home and in his upper room with his windows open. Pause and think that through with me for just a moment. And I want to just cause you to see something in Daniel that is this beautiful balance a balance that is neither unashamed, but is also unpretentious. And there's a very vital balance to be found here, a place where we're praying not to be seen, but neither are we embarrassed or ashamed. I think about Jesus when he was talking about prayer. He would say it this way there in Matthew 6, and when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Sure, they say to you, they have the reward. He says, don't pray for people to notice you. Don't pray just for that, that, that place where you pray just because you're kind of trying to show off or people to thank you if you're godly. And again, Jesus just says it really well. If that's why you pray, I hope you enjoyed it because that was the extent of your reward. All you get is people's notice, and that's not even all that good. He says, if you're praying that way, you're praying only for people to, 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 to see you praying, then that's an empty space of prayer. But on the other side of it, understand this, Jesus said it this way, for whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes into the glory of his Father with his holy angels. He says, if you're embarrassed about me, if you're ashamed of me, that's, that's not going to go well for you but now or in eternity. There's a place of, of not being there, and there's something about your prayer life that ought to be something that you're not doing it to be seen, but neither are you ashamed of it. And there's a beautiful balance that I want to tell you is so needed. Again, for some of you, you're, you're struggling with both sides of this. I mean, it really can be a space where you, you pray only when people notice you praying. That's a bad place. You want to move away from that. But others, you're like embarrassed. You're, you're embarrassed so much so that nobody actually knows when you actually pray. Like if I went and asked your family members or your friends or your neighbors, so when do they pray? And they'd be like, I don't know. I don't ever see them. I mean, if they pray, I have no idea. Daniel shows us a thing that he's not doing it out on the street corners, but his windows are open. His windows are open. If anybody wants to see, there he is. And honestly, that's probably what gets him in trouble. That's, that's how they discover he's praying, because they're looking through the window. It's like, there he's praying right there. There's something beautiful about this that becomes essential to, to a place that if you're going to have a consistent prayer life, it needs to be something that you're not embarrassed to have. The kind of thing that you can tell people, hey, I, I, I can't do that right now because this is my time to pray. This is my time I've reserved to spend time with Jesus. And I'm not embarrassed about that. I'm not, I'm not, you know, it's like, okay, well, I don't just, I mean, people, I mean, there ought to be something there that you have a place that needs to be there and it becomes strength into our prayer life when we can say, I'm not embarrassed about it. I'm not ashamed of it. I'm not trying to do it for attention, but I'm not embarrassed that, that I take time out of my day every day to spend time with Jesus. I, I, I'm not embarrassed about that at all. And Daniel shows us that's powerful in this place of having a consistent prayer life. As he does this, it's also worth noting just kind of quickly that he says, you know, that his windows are open there in verse 10, and they're open toward Jerusalem. Daniel has this prayer, this focus that really is set towards Jerusalem. Now, let's be clear. 
This isn't some kind of geographical center for us. This isn't like it is for those who are of the Islamic faith that if you know anybody in that place, they, you know, they pray towards Mecca and everything they do has to be centered that way. That's not what we find in Scripture. There's not like prayer always is prayed towards Jerusalem. But there is a sense of understanding what it means. There in Jerusalem, the point of it was it was God's presence. Even when Solomon builds the temple and he says, hey, when prayers are prayed this direction, God here, God answers that by saying, boy, if they're seeking me, I mean, if they're seeking me, it's always meant to be that way, that you and I are meant to have this place where we're focused on that, where it's focused toward God, towards who he is, towards what that would be in our lives. Simply put for us, there ought to be a sense that for you, when you pray, you're making a beeline if I can say it that way, toward God's presence. Like, I want Him. Boy, this isn't kind of, you know, I just wanted to get it over with. I didn't want to just say my prayers for the day. I am focused. I'm entering into this prayer because I want to enter into boldly before His presence. Though I'm, I'm, I'm serious about this. There ought to be something that that does, and that, again, will transform and make it so much better. It's one of the things that can make consistent prayer good because you're actually pursuing Him. Well, I think that's powerful. It's good, but let's keep going. So beginning in verse 10. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home and in his upper room with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees. Posture. Yeah, when we think about this, what I want to tell you right now is there really is a place about being fully involved. For Daniel, it's getting down on his knees. Now, hear me clearly. Don't get confused on this. There is no single right posture of prayer. We find postures all through the Bible. Sometimes people are sitting. Sometimes they're standing. Sometimes they're kneeling. Sometimes they're prostrate on their face. Sometimes they're walking. It can be any and all those and more. There's not a single posture that is that way. Sometimes people can do kind of the traditional, what we call today, kind of heads, head down and hands held. Other times they're looking up. All the way through Scripture, we find this powerful place, and I want to hold it out to you in a way of saying, hey, there's no universal posture of prayer, but there is power in being fully involved. It's actually not a hard thing to understand. If you need, if you need to really kind of figure it out on your own, I want to give you a little bit of homework. To somebody that you know well, love perhaps, even your family members, I want you to try having a conversation with them totally uninvolved. So I just want you to like stand there and just be like, hi, I just want to tell you that I love you and you're really cool. Hope you have a good day. I just want you to try it. Like only talk. I mean, know nothing else. I mean, just kind of recognize it and then do the same conversation and get fully involved. I mean, who you are. You don't have to be somebody else, but be who you are. Hey, I love you. I mean, facial expressions, body motions, whatever it is, just say, I just wanted to sit beside you and tell you I care. I want to tell you there's something there. There's something about it that both you will be understood better, but honestly, you'll speak better. You'll communicate better. And what I want to tell you about prayer is it should be something that is fully you're involved in. It's not just your words. It's not just your voice. You should be fully involved. And again, I'm not asking you to be anybody or not. We're, we're different people. And what works for one person is not going to work for somebody else. But it might be worth experience, just experimenting. You might want to do a Daniel thing. You might want to get down on your knees and say, you know, it just helps me. When I'm in this posture, boy, my whole heart kind of engages. I recognize that I'm kneeling before the King of kings and Lord of lords. It's a great thing. Others of you are like, man, if I get on my knees, I'm never getting up. It's just like, that's, just, that's not going to work for me. Well, then try something else. Try, 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 you know, maybe you do want to do that, the head down and, and eyes closed, and you're just like, it works. This is a holy moment. For somebody else, you're going to be like, I fall asleep if I do that. So then you want to say, well, maybe I want to look up to heaven. I'm going to lift my eyes, and I'm going to cry out to God. Or you might even want to raise your hands. I mean, Solomon would pray that when he pray with his hands up and just say, God, I'm talking to you. Or maybe you just want to open your hands and just say, God, with open hands, I'm just speaking to you. All I'm wanting to tell you is that if you have not figured out, prayer is meant to be fully involved. And, it, and it's powerful for you if you will figure out how that works for you. And when you figure it out, it'll help you be more consistent. Because it's like, when I'm in this posture, when I'm doing, when my hands are up, 
or my face is down or I'm on my knees. Boy, it just, I click into motion. This is prayer time. This is prayer time. This is my time with my God, and it will be powerful for him. For Daniel, it would seem to be that being on his knees was what worked for him since his early days, and for him, it was powerful. You don't have to be Daniel, but you should be fully connected. Your prayer life should be more than just your words. It should be you fully engaging with the God of the universe, and he's calling you to that to be absolutely fully involved. Well, all those things are helpful, but maybe this next one is one of the most important. Catch it with me. We're reading through it. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home. And in his upper room, with his windows open, toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day. Consistent prayer life, to really have it, it really is powerful to have a schedule to have a place where you schedule it, where where for Daniel, it was three times that day. It was on a schedule that he did that. Now, let's be absolutely clear. Prayer is bigger than this. In fact, prayer should encompass your entire life. The Bible calls us to be a people who we could pray to God all the time and at any time. I think about it in Thessalonians. It gives it to us this way. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. And everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. We should be those who can pray all the time. We pray without ceasing. There's a space that's like, I'm always praying. I'm always praying. I pray throughout the day. I, 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 should, I can talk to God at any moment and in any place, and if he's your best friend, you will. And you ought to. Prayer should be that. Prayer should be that spontaneous. It should be that beautiful. It's definitely a part of our prayer life. But having said that, there is also power in having a scheduled time with God. And having a place where we have a specific time, that is your time, where you pray. Now that might be a time on the the clock that is on, on the clock every single day, or it might be connected where it always flows that way. Now, again, this is not hard to understand. Habits, that's how they work. Habits, that's how they work. If you establish a good habit in your life, you do so in a routine. So, you know, if it's you know, brushing your teeth or making your bed or whatever it is, you do it at the same, I mean, it always happens that way. So that at every point, even if the clock is different, you always do that way. For some of you, it might be if prayer became that, it's like, hey, it's the first thing I do when I get up. It's the last thing I do before I go to bed. It's the first thing I do after breakfast. It's the first thing I do after lunch. Again, we're all different people and there is no one size fits all, but I'm telling you, if you want to have a consistent prayer life, then it has to be on your your schedule. And it's the kind of thing that you do every day in the same time, in the same place. Like, this is what I do. This is my space where I spend time with God, where I have such a place. Now, for Daniel, he did it three times. There's a lot of debate about how and why. It might have been like in Psalm 55, where it said, you know, evening, morning, and noon. I will pray and cry aloud. He'll hear my voice. It might have been flowing out of that. It might have been flowing out of the sacrificial schedule. Lots of things. But for however it worked in Daniel, he had three appointments with God every day. He had three times. He says, these are the spaces I pray. And he seemed to do it every single day. Corey Tim Boom said it really well this way. She said, make sure prayer is your steering wheel, not your spare tire. It's a great illustration if you just want to think about it because some of you, prayer is your spare tire. When things go wrong, I pray. If I need it, I pray. But she says, you should drive your life this way. It's not just meant to be the response when things go wrong. It's how you're supposed to pray. And she goes on to simply say, don't pray just when you feel like it. Have an appointment with the Lord and keep it. A man is powerful on his knees. And I just want to say, that's what I'm trying to say. Have an appointment with God and keep it. Have a space where you would know, this is my space, so that you know it, and I hope everybody else who knows you knows it. I mean, again, I'm hoping it would be the kind of thing, if I were to interview and say, ask your family members and, and, and say, hey, when do they pray? I would hope that they'd say, oh, this is their prayer time. Boy, we don't get in, we don't get in the way of that. Like, they, you know, when, this is the space on this, when it, at this moment in the day, that is their time with God, and we, we, we don't plan things at that moment, we don't, we don't get in the way of that, that's always what they do. 
It's funny, I was thinking about this a little bit, and as I was doing some of the research, I ran across a quote from John Wesley, and he was talking about his mom, who was an incredibly godly woman and raised in some incredibly godly kids, but they had a very small home. And so finding space to pray was quite a challenge. And so in their lives, it really did develop that when she threw the sheet over her head, it was her prayer space. And all the kids knew. It's like, don't bother mom. You know, it's like, mom's praying. And it was like, she's right there, but we do not go, mom, mom, mom. It's like, that's her prayer space. I mean, like, she just, this is when we leave her alone because this is hers. By God's grace, I'm telling you that there's something powerful about it. If you only pray when you feel like it, if you have a prayer life that's sporadic and you're like, I don't know why it's not where it should be, I'm just telling you, hey, you should pray all the time. Anytime God prompts you, you should pray. But if you really want to have a consistent prayer life, figure it out. Some of you are morning people. The best time is in the morning. Some of you are evening people. Best time is in the evening. Some of you want to do a Daniel's like I do it three times. <laughs> I, I, I have three. You don't have to. There's no, no, no legalistic requirement there. But for some of you, it's like, would it not be great to have that? Now, if that's not something you have, I want to hold it out to you. But I also want to speak a moment of grace. If you're going to start this, and you're going to try to have a consistent prayer life with God, don't make it overwhelming at first. Don't try to like reserve an hour or something right off the bat. Boy, you'd be good if you said, okay, hey, it's five minutes or 10 minutes. This is your time, God, every single day. Every day, this is your space. If it grows past that, great, but do it and be consistent. Set it aside and say, God, this is an appointment I don't break. This is an appointment I keep, and I keep it every single day. And, and, and this is your space where I'm connecting. Yes, I'm going to pray past that. Yes, I'm going to pray in other spaces. But have a space Daniel seemed to, so much so, again, they could put it by just almost marking the clock. It's like you could, you could set the time by Daniel's faithfulness. Would it be, God, you had that? That you had that kind of faithfulness that people just knew. It's like, oh, yeah, that, that's their space. That's powerful. Daniel had that. He had this space where he was scheduled, where that became a certain part of his life. Now, maybe just saying all of this, I just want to say it this way. One of the powerful realities is just the call to do it. I like the way it just simply says it there, that Daniel prayed three times that day. You understand where I'm going, so I'll say it quickly. Living in good intentions is no life at all. And for many of us, we have so many good intentions. Like one of these days, I'm really going to exercise. One of these days, I'm really going to become a person of prayer. Start today. Start today. Start this day. Make it something not that's living in the future, but Daniel did it today, and I'm telling you that would be powerful. It's powerful in Daniel's life, but it's powerful in the church. That's, again, what we saw a moment ago in Acts 2.42. This is what they continued in steadfastly. Like, they didn't stop. They continued in the Word and fellowship, and they did it in prayer. Prayer was a serious part of it, and God is calling you and I to that, to a place that our prayer life could have such incredible consistency. I'm inviting you to that kind of consistency. I'm inviting you to that kind of place. Well, one more thing, and then we'll wind it down very quickly. So we've talked about what real prayer is, and the major push this morning is to call us to a consistent prayer life, to a place that you and I could be consistent and faithful in that. It's a beautiful thing. But I also want to tell you there's something about it that Daniel wasn't just consistent, but he was faithful. Well, yeah, you understand. We think about everything that's here. Daniel prays this way, so much so that when prayer becomes illegal, he keeps praying anyway. So I want you to come at it from this different direction and understand Daniel's living in this amazing space, and yet prayer became illegal. Not just illegal, it became a death penalty. Illegal. And Daniel prays anyway. And what I want you to understand about this consistent prayer life is understand that Daniel's response is not a rebellious response. He doesn't actually respond to them. In other words, when they make prayer illegal, he doesn't pray more than he was praying. But he doesn't pray less either. He's not in any way you're kind of moving into some compromised faith. He's not, it, it doesn't change him at all. It doesn't move him to more or less. He stays in this faithful place, and there's something incredibly powerful there. See, I think about it, you guys understand. In Acts 5, it tells us when the disciples were dealing with the things they dealt with there, they said we ought to obey God rather than men. We talked about it last week, that we are to be praying for our leaders, that we're to be praying for those over us, and it's certainly true. 
But there is a space when, when, when civil governments would come in and make illegal or wrong things that God says that we're supposed to do. We have to come into the place to say, you know, I, God comes first. I will obey him before I obey others. I'll obey him before I do that. I want to call you to that kind of faithfulness, but I need you to understand you'll never get there if you can't be faithful today. If it's only responding to the government or responding to what they're doing, that's going to be a wrong response. David Guzik said it this way. He says there was danger in both directions. It would have been compromised to do less and pride to do more. Had, had he compromised when it became illegal, that would, have, that would have been bad. If, he, if he'd done more, it would have been his arrogant response. Instead, he's just faithful. What he was doing the week before, he keeps doing then. His faithfulness is unchanged in the midst of it. And I want to hold that out to you and tell you that consistent prayer life, a consistent prayer life will help you stand firm in difficult days. That if we would have this there, it would help us stand. Now, I know this probably makes sense, but please hear me. I talk to people, and sometimes they tell me, like, you know, if Bible reading became illegal, or if prayer became illegal, or church became illegal, I'd do it anyway. Great. Do you do it now? I mean, if you, if you don't do it now when it's easy, why would you think you're going to do it when it's hard? You won't. If you can't be consistent now, there is no way you're going to be consistent if it gets hard. Now, I'm not a prophet. I'm not telling you that I know what's coming. I'm just telling you it's very, very possible. that The Bible tells us in this world we will face persecution. It could be that you and I are headed toward days that our faith is going to be challenged and pressed. And if you want to be faithful then, you're going to have to be faithful now. We're going to see it later in the book of Daniel. In chapter 11, it's going to talk about the Antichrist and what he's going to be coming to do, how he's going to return and show regard for those who forsake the covenant, who rebel against God. The forces will be mustered by him. He'll defile the sanctuary. They're going to take away daily sacrifices. And he says they're going to place the abomination of desolation. Hey, much we're going to have to talk about when we get there because Jesus talks about this. He tells us this is what's coming. But what I want you to understand is the next verse. He simply tells it to us this way. He says, those who do wickedly against the covenant, he, that is the Antichrist, shall corrupt with flattery. But the people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. It's pretty simple, right? Those who do wickedly, who are already disobeying God, who are already not doing what God said to do, who are already living in rebellion, the Antichrist is going to corrupt them. He's going to flatter them. Now, that's what he's going to do then, but the Bible tells us that's what he's doing now. When John tells us the Antichrist is coming, but many Antichrists are already here. This is already Satan's strategy, that he would move us to say, hey, if you're rebelling, he will kind of soften that, flatter you, try to corrupt you to stay, keep you staying there. But those who, the people who know their God, there's no way to know your God except to be someone who listens to him and his word and prays. There's no other way. There's not anybody in this room who's like, I know God, I, just, I don't pray to him. You do not know him then. If you don't have a, a prayer life that's consistent and a part of yours, you don't know him. But those people who know their God, who have that relationship with God, he says, hey, they're going to be strong. They're going to resist those days. They're going to survive those days, and they're going to touch people's lives. They're going to carry out great exploits. I just want to tell you, that's what I'm in lo longing for for you. I'm longing for you to have a faithful prayer life, a kind of one that could be resilient if it becomes hard, but you'll never have it then if you don't have it now. And if you want to have it then, then you need to establish it now. If you want to be faithful in hard times that might be coming, you need to be faithful today. And I'm just inviting you to a place that prayer becomes that kind of consistent place, that you would be somebody who actually prays consistently and that would hold you firm to the end. You know, when Jesus was praying at one point, the disciples came to him and I love their request. They just simply said, Lord, teach us to pray. And as we end this morning, that is just kind of my request to say of God for me and for you. God, teach us to do this. Teach us to be a people that we don't just know people that pray, we actually pray ourselves. So you can close your Bibles, notebooks, whatever it is you have open. And I'm just inviting you to that today. I'm inviting you to real prayer that's consistent, that's faithful. And so we're going to give you a small space right now.
If, if you don't know Jesus, this is a great space for you to ask Jesus to save you. We'd love to talk to you about it more because, again, we tell you, you can't have this without this. But if you know Jesus, then I'm inviting you maybe either to strengthen what's already there or establish afresh what you've failed to do. So giving you this quiet moment, wherever that's met you, would you talk to him? Would you actually take this next moment and pray to God about what he's talked to you about in this space? Let's each one take that moment just to pray. God, I thank you so much for the consistent example of a man who prayed. And I ask, even as the disciples looked at you, Jesus, also walking in such consistent prayer, I ask very simply, teach us to do this. God, would you teach us to pray? God, I think about some who don't know you, and there's no way that's going to happen without a relationship with you. I pray that you draw them to Jesus. I think about some who know you and have tasted this. And where it's strong, I pray that you would strengthen it. Where you'd make it more and more and more. But God, I know I'm praying for some that either had this and have stopped or have never really entered into what it's be- this beautiful, consistent prayer life with you. Lord, I pray that you would speak just both invitation and exhortation that would cause us to be a people that know you so that we can stand in a world that doesn't. God, I pray that you would work that in fresh ways and that this day you would inspire us and call us to be a people of prayer, that that would mark our lives. May we be known as people who consistently, faithfully pray. I ask for that now and ask for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. May God teach you and take you further than I could ever do and just draw you to be a person of prayer. If you need to talk to someone after this and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, again, we invite you to Jesus. Please give us an opportunity to share with you more. But right now, for you guys who do, again, we're available to talk to you as well. But right now, we just want to invite you to worship with us and sing with us. So why don't you stand? We're going to close in a final song and make God that focus and just acknowledge what we have in Him. In that, I just want to bless you in His name. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.